Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about why I think property price growth might level out uh, towards the end of this year or certainly in the second half of 2021. I'm going to outline the reasons why I think that that might occur. But before we do that, let's get into what's been happening in the market and, and certainly what we've been reading Uh, because the internet and newspapers are awash with stories of property selling for more than reserve, which kind of indicates that it's a very, very hot market, you know, can encourage people to be driven by a bit of FOMO um, and those sorts of things. I mean, just picking one recently out of the last couple of weeks, a property in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, the reserve was $4.5 million, it sold for $6 million, so $1.5 million above reserve. And uh, whilst I'm not suggesting that these stories or these instances aren't noteworthy, I mean, they are, that is significant, but we also have to remind ourselves that there could be multiple reasons why a property sells for more than reserve. Now, of course, the first one could be that, you know, that there's strong um, demand for a particular property. Now, particularly um, owner-occupiers tend to be emotionally driven or can be emotionally driven. Uh, so, you know, if a, if a person falls in love with the property, um, then they might be prepared to, to some degree, pay any price uh, in order to get that property. Uh, sometimes if it's an auction, you know, ego can kind of kick in and, and they don't want to lose the auction and um, they might be motivated to, to pay more. So, yes, it can certainly be the um, underlying demand or representative of the strength of underlying demand for, for property. But also, secondly, you know, the reserve might be too low. You know, not all vendors are motivated to maximise their sale price. There could be other factors that are equally or perhaps even more important to them uh, in in terms of selling property. It, and it sounds a bit foreign because most of us would think, yeah, well, maximising the sale price logically is the most important thing. But if they're in already in a very, very strong financial position, it might be really around the timing of the sale or making the sale discreet or making it quick. You know, these factors might be actually more important than... I'm, I've heard situations where vendors selling to a particular... Uh, a particular purchaser, uh, you know, say a, a, an unoccupied rather than developer, is more important and they're happy to take a, a haircut of a million dollars on the sale price just to see the, the property um, um, exist beyond their ownership. So, um, uh, so people might have also unrealistic expectations, you know, too, too low uh, value. It might not be a realistic uh, um, uh, reserve. Uh, and also the selling agent might be keen to sort of quote the lowest possible reserve to attract uh, potential buyers. I'm not suggesting underquoting, of course, that it, it does occur, but really um, the, the valuation of a, a, a property or value of a property is very subjective um, and should probably be expected in a ra- expressed in a range rather than one single figure. Um, and, you know, agents uh, might be inclined to go to the bottom end of that range again, to attract more buyer interest. Uh, And finally, interest rates have a big impact on affordability, right? Particularly in the higher value properties. You know, if we're buying buying a property for several million dollars, um, these buyers tend to borrow more than the average, of course. Um, And when fixed home loan interest rates are less than 2% per annum, it makes spending a little more on a property 
a bit more affordable than, say, it was five years ago. And uh, that really needs to be reflected in, in selling prices, of course. It, may, it makes a lot of sense. The next comment I would say is let's look at the results in context, in a bit of a longer term context, not just let's measure results over the last six months, but really if we if we look a little bit longer than that and even um, and we look over the last sort of three years, for example, in the property market, median house prices really haven't changed over the last uh, three years. Now, I'm not I think even three years is too short a term uh, to look at property prices and trends and so forth, but um, I, I thought I'd use this as a bit of an example. So, in the last three years, in the property market has been pretty tumultuous. Um, so, a lot of credit tightening, uh, which is a reduction in borrowing capacity, uh, was pushed through by APRA throughout uh, 2017 and 2018, and that reduced the the volume of property buyers in the market, particularly investors, as they were running off interest only loans. And then throughout uh, 2018 and 2019. The market was impacted by, you know, the Labor Party's uh, federal election policy of banning negative gearing and and hiking the rate of capital gains tax. And obviously that negatively weighed on property sentiment. And we don't really need much of a reminder of what happened in 2020 last year, obviously with COVID and the results in lockdowns um, to some degree, particularly in Victoria, that that actually stopped the market um, in, in totality. So... All these three factors, all very different factors, but have occurred successively. Over the last three years, prices, as a result, have been stagnant. They really haven't moved if we look at just median house price in, say, Sydney and, and, and Melbourne and even Brisbane uh, and really most, uh, most locations uh, around Australia. Now, if you look at the long-term growth trend um, over a 40-year th- period, on average, property prices have been appreciating by about 7.5% per annum over that last 40 years. So therefore, if we apply that, if we say, well, prices should have risen by 7.5% in 2018, 2019 and 2020, then really property prices intrinsically are arguably worth 24% more because of that compounding growth over three years than what they were back in 2017. So um, whilst we might see prices spike, and it looks like while the market's getting out of control, uh, arguably we're only just playing catch up to get to the intrinsic value of the property, what it is today. And after all, mean reversion, which is uh, a very strong observable trend in all markets that uh, returns will revert to the mean in the long run. Uh, so mean reversion means that you know if we go through periods of no growth, it will it tended to be followed by a period of stronger growth to kind of catch up to the average rate of growth over time. And really, we need to remind ourselves that we've seen no growth for three years, and all we're really doing at the moment potentially is paying a bit of catch up. But I think it's more than that. I think there's an imbalance of supply and demand, uh, and that that um, that is not sustainable or rarely sustainable. Uh, the market will self-correct that supply and demand. So I think there's a greater number of buyers than motivated buyers, I should say, than sellers. Now, think about it. If you wanted to buy a property or you made the decision to buy a property in 2017-18, sort of around that period of time, um, you might have been put off by the negative sentiment created by the credit tightening. Then you might have been put off by the federal election um, policies from the Labor Party. 
thinking, oh, well, if they ban negative gearing, property prices are going to crash and I'll delay my purchase. Uh, And then you would have been hit by COVID uh, and you would have had to delay again. Now, people planning to buy property can continue to delay it, but only to a certain extent. From a practical perspective, particularly if they need to, say, upgrade because they need more accommodation to house their family or they need to change locations or those sorts of things, there's going to be some practical considerations that will really encourage them to do that sooner rather than later. And there could be, or I'm arguing, that there's uh, potentially three years of pent-up demand. Now, not everyone that decided to buy a property in 2017 has to buy this year, of course, but I think that there's enough uh, people out there uh, that is causing this pent-up demand to sort of come to the fore. And they're thinking, okay, now the property market's about to kick off. You know, that there's been plenty of um, predictions that prices are going to rise very quickly over the next couple of years. And so now people are, all these buyers, these motivated buyers are rushing into the market. But of course, once that initial um, uh, spurt of demand satisfies, you know, once they buy their property, demand will normalise as well. So the other thing too, is I think the supply side will be corrected. Now, um, discretionary vendors are are people that would like to sell their property but are not motivated to do so with any particular time frame. So again, if you were a discretionary vendor, you might be thinking, look, I'm going to sell this property, whether it's an investment property or a home. Um, And for the same reasons that the buyer has been put off over the last three years, discretionary vendors have also been put off. Uh, now, of course, uh, discretionary vendors today would probably be feeling rather encouraged and, and thinking that maybe 2021 uh, is, the, is the right time to sell. But I think people are still a little bit cautious uh, about, you know, unexpected matters cropping up. I mean, the last three years has been just constant, successive, unexpected factors cropping up. And I think also uh, they're worried about these snap uh, COVID lockdowns you know, which could really interrupt either the sentiment in the property market or a, a sales campaign. Uh, and also, I think people are just starting to really enjoy the resumption of, you know, post-lockdown uh, life again, which is, you know, travelling, holidaying. And I think particularly in Victoria, as uh, Victoria went through a pretty severe lockdown in 2020. Uh, and as the Australian uh, vaccination gets rolled out, albeit at a very slow pace, but it will will gather. I suspect by the time um, spring ticks around, uh, if we've been able to vaccinate a lot more people than we uh, have today, I think that it reduces the risk of, you know, these snap lockdowns. I think a lot of those, the the tourism industry is probably, and the airlines are probably going to iron out a lot of those those issues as well. Uh, And discretionary vendors will be buoyed I think by um, some pretty um, encouraging results from the property market, you know, over the course of the year. So therefore, I think uh, the spring market, or at least the second half of 2021, uh, will probably attract more discretionary vendors. So that means that the supply of properties for sale will increase. Uh, I think buyer demand will be, still be strong, but the you know the buyers that uh, the pent up demand. You know, the buyers that have been keen to buy over, over the last three years but uh, haven't been able to, but, but because of their circumstances have to, uh, I think th- they would, would have mostly evaporated. So sort of demand will normalise, supply will increase, and I think that will temper 
uh, price growth. Now, I'm not suggesting that I think that uh, prices won't grow. I think they will, and I think it will still be a relatively good year, but maybe we're looking at single-digit growth from now, from April through to the end of this year, rather than you know a 20% increase or something more significant than that. Now, we have to remind ourselves also that prices can move in two directions, not just one. Sometimes in a market that's, uh, that's very buoyant, where there's a lot of positive uh, rhetoric that's being talked about in the market, sometimes we think that, you know, we, we fail to remember that prices can go down as well. I remember a period of time, say prices between um, early 2016 and late 2016 to early 2017. So that sort of uh, 12 to 18 months uh, period, uh, prices uh, were very strong. It was a very strong market in 2016. Um, but really then prices since early 2017 started to level off. So it's quite possible that if you bought a property, say in late 2016, um, that it would have been easy to, or even sometimes tempting for some people to overpay for a property thinking that prices were getting out of control, bit of FOMO, better buy now. But anyone that did slightly overpay for property uh, in, say, 2016, a couple of years later, they might be on paper looking at a bit of a loss position. You know, the prices sort of came back a little bit. We're not talking about a lot, but a little bit. And I guess that's not um, that's not meaningful, really, in the long run, if I'm going to keep a property for 20 years and prices come back by 3% over you know a couple of months after I purchase, that's not a big deal. But my point is that we do see um, periods in the market where prices are very exuberant, um, but they rarely persist for really long periods of time. So prices don't remain exuberant for, say, two years, periods of two years. It's normally a number of months. Um, and then what happens is that naturally... Um, discretionary vendors and even um, unexpected vendors uh, get encouraged by the prices and start putting more stock on the market. And that whole supply-demand thing uh, starts working uh, very well to correct prices and balance out supply and demand. Now, the price you pay for an investment um, rarely um, makes it a bad investment. So you can overpay for the, the best property in Melbourne and pay 5% more and over a 20-year period, it's not going to make any difference to your investment returns. So I don't want to overemphasize the importance of price, um, but I just want to remind ourselves that, you know, prices can move in both directions. So let me summarize my predictions. But first, let me admit that making short-term predictions is meaningless. Um, in the short-term, markets are inherently unpredictable and really, we should be focusing on making good long-term decisions. But I guess, you know, in our minds, um, you know, we often sort of think about uh, what might happen in the short term. And I just wanted to provide some commentary to kind of offset to some degree uh, some of the rhetoric that you see in the media. Not that, So I don't think it's going to be that helpful in informing your investment decisions or your financial decisions, uh, but really just to weigh in, I guess, on, you know, what, what I might see happening in the market. So I think with, you know, blue, blue chip investment grade suburbs, I think they'll perform well, as I said. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we only see single digit growth between now and the end of the year, or maybe it's circa 10%, but I don't think we're going to see runaway prices of, you know, 20% higher uh, by the end of the year than what, what we see now. Uh, so certainly don't be driven too much by FOMO, uh, by the right asset at the right time. Um, be diligent 
uh, it's a big uh, acquisition and um, nothing to rush into. Uh, I think outer ring suburbs, um, particularly those that are dominated by lower income earners, I think they're going to underperform blue chip suburbs. And the main reason for that is that the lowest 40% of income earners have been uh, the most severely impacted by COVID. Uh, that is their incomes and that's where uh, are lower and that's where most of the unemployment uh, is. So if those locations are dominated by that demographic, then I think that's going to weigh on those markets. Um, and then the popular kind of work from home locations, which could be sort of tree or, or sea change uh, sort of locations, at the moment suffering from very, very short supply. So whilst there might still be some work from home demand, people thinking that they're going to make some significant changes in the way that they work um, and uh, happy to move out of capital cities, uh, for those people that are looking to make those changes, you know, I, I suspect that those locations will experience very tight supply, you know, no houses for sale, that is. Uh, and obviously that's going to have an impact on prices. Now, of course, let me add a disclaimer to these uh, forecasts, if you like. Uh, that is, over the past decade or so, it seems like there have been a series of kind of once-in-a-lifetime events. You know, it started with the G GFC, which is over a, a decade ago now, but, you know, there's been COVID, political uncertainty, floods, fires, etc., etc. So, of course, the caveat is that there could be another unexpected, unpredictable, once-in-a-lifetime event that spoils this prediction and obviously renders it uh, useless. Just as a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating wherever you listen. Uh, it certainly helps with um, the popularity and ranking of the podcast, gets it out there a bit more. Uh, I'd be greatly appreciated if you did that. And that's it from me this week. Uh, bye for now.